suddenly and abruptly, I found myself peering over the edge of a cliff. The rock before me that I'd expected to be there had crumbled away, and I could see the land in front of me like I never expected to see it before. The ground behind me that I'd been on had been rumbling beneath my feet for some time, but I'd chosen to ignore it, and the consequences of that were now inescapable. That was how I felt at age 18, sitting in my room, looking at my faith. Within a matter of about 24 hours, everything had fallen apart. And for the first time in my life, I had no belief left. It's as if everything that I believed about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, had been ripped away, and it was raw. The background to that story, the bit behind me, was that I'd uh, grown up with a Christian family teaching me about God. I'd given my heart to Jesus when I was about seven. I pestered my minister till I was 11, till I was deemed old enough to be baptized. And as far as I was able, uh, I tried to keep Jesus front and center at school. It was a bit like Ezekiel with all the answers. But as my late teens progressed, there was rumbling doubts happening, and I was pushing them away. Could I trust the Bible? Was it all just psychological, just what my family told me? Was God even there? What difference did it make anyway? And I put those questions off. I told myself I would get round to them eventually. Maybe in the summer, after I'd done my exams, I was busy. I knew it would take some work, and I was afraid what I might find out. I was afraid I might find it wasn't true. And that made me put it off. And I was afraid I would hurt my family by looking at the questions, because I knew what they believed. Now, I don't remember what the final earthquake was that meant these questions were now exposed. and I was no longer able to put them back in the box marked later. They were all out. There was no uh, belief left. And for the first time in my life, like surveying that landscape in front of a cliff, I could see in detail what life would be like without any ties to following Jesus. Never seen that before. And I had a choice. There was no option just to reconstruct and put it all back together, or indeed to construct anything new without answering those questions honestly and without the integrity of of allowing myself to maybe have any answer. Two days later, we were meant to be going off as a family to Spring Harvest, which is a big Christian holiday. Think uh, Soul Survivor, but with more magnitude. That was a joke. Thank you. Somebody laughed. Um, And I'd normally have been on the front row with my arms in the air, uh, worshipping, worshipping my heart out. But I went that time empty. My whole belief system had been upended. This is what Jesus was challenging to the Jewish leaders and their followers in the passage that Marjorie read for us today. 
John was pausing the narrative of the stories to report on a conversation that Jesus had with some of the religious leaders and their followers. And he was pressing on them. What evidence do you have for what you believe, for what you've built your life on, and for how you're rejecting me? The earthquake was rumbling on their beliefs. They'd watched Jesus for some time, as we've been doing, as we followed along in, Jesus's gospel, in John's gospel. And they'd been looking for God to come and send someone special. But what they thought was possible for that person and Jesus didn't fit together. So what have we seen so far in John's gospel as we've looked? We've seen someone, John the Baptist, claiming that Jesus was the son of God. We've seen Jesus call people to follow him that were just ordinary people, not the expected Saw miracles, water turned to wine, healing of a boy. Jesus teaching that he was offering some other kind of new kingdom life to people. Few people had heard him and their world had been revolutionized. Peter, John, who was writing this. Others, the lame man that we heard about being healed the other day was healed. And it seems he just went on the same way as he had before, blaming other people for all the problems. And yet to others, it made them very, very angry. Enough to start plotting his murder. And it's these angry people that we see Jesus challenging today. Why were they angry? Well, at this point in the story, it was because of the story of the lame man and why when Jesus had healed, and the fact that someone had broken a rule that they'd made up about carrying a mat. But as with many angry people, often it's not the thing on the surface that's causing the anger. It's other things deep inside about their values or something that's precious to them being shaken. So the passage that Marjorie read, we're kind of halfway through this discussion that Jesus is having with them. So let's jump back a little bit. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, we're going to have a look at verse 16 to start us off, and then we'll catch up with where we're going. So John chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, and this was why Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things, healing people, on the Sabbath, their special day. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I'm working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus was essentially saying, I am my Father's Son. I'm just like him. I do what he does. I think, I say what he says. And he's given me his authority to represent him. Martin spoke of the wonder of that last week. But as Jesus... Um, says these things to 
the Jewish leaders that he's speaking to. We can just feel their blood pressure rising, can't we? We can almost hear them saying, who does he think he is? And on the flip side of that, for angry, self-righteous people, usually the question is there, doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know we're the Bible experts, the appointed teachers of the people, uh, given our background, our heritage, our knowledge, our importance? Who does he think he is? Jesus knows that they've already decided about him. Uh, But he takes them where they are, And he lays out the evidence, the witnesses, the word that's used in the passage, as to why Jesus is the Son of God. And he looks at six things. It's his self-testimony, what he says, a significant person, his own actions, a mystery that they can't hear, the scriptures, need another hand, and their favorite hero, what he says about himself, a significant person, his own actions, a mystery, the scriptures, and their favorite hero. I wonder if you just had that list of people, of evidences for something, which would you pick as being your most important one? Which carries the most weight? When we think about what we believe in Jesus, what carries the most weight for us? I don't know what you believe about Jesus, for many of you. I'm hoping that as we look at these witnesses, they will speak to us whether we have no faith, whether we're reviewing our faith, whether we have doubts, whether we have been long-time followers of Jesus. But we need to just reconsider and just think about what our foundations are based on. So let's look at those things together. So let's look at what Jesus says. Oh, I missed a verse, didn't I, when I was recapping. Verse 30, uh, I'll just read it to you. It links in with what we were saying before. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And we'll go on to verse 31. If I alone bear witness to myself, my testimony is not true. And we recognize that. If someone comes along and says there's someone special, Just because they say they're special doesn't mean they are. That's just how we take things to be. And Jesus is acknowledging that. And in fact, he's um, tying it into a Jewish rule that says you need to have two people, two witnesses that agree before you can believe what they say. So although Jesus doesn't have to justify himself, he's going to bring some witnesses for people. So 32... There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. So Jesus introduces to them or reminds them about John the Baptist. You sent, verse 33, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now that testimony that I receive from is, sorry, let's try that again. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. 
He's pointing them back to John the Baptist that he knows they sent people to go and investigate. They sent people off. Many people gathered to hear John standing in the desert saying, prepare the way for God. Turn your life around. Get ready for the one that God's sending. And then they heard him say, the Lamb of God, a code name for Jesus, if you look back in the Old Testament, will take away the sins of the world. So he pointed them back to someone whom they got excited about initially. At least some people did. Who introduced you to Jesus? Can you remember that far back, if it was a long time ago? Their witness to you was important. Might have been family. Might have been a a preacher. Might have been at an event. It helped you believe. Maybe even took you to the decision of what to believe. But it's not enough to base what you believe on on what someone else says. Verse 35, he says about John, John was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John the Baptist. What does Jesus turn to next? His next witness is what he does, his works. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus means, look at what I'm doing. He's already said, I'm doing, I do what I see the Father doing. And he's challenging his detractors to look at what he's doing and to see, is it the sort of thing that God does? Jesus holds up his teaching and his actions that have been evident for them all to see as the biggest proof of who he is. And that's even before we get to the part in the story about the death, his death and resurrection. When we're looking at who Jesus is, we need to look at all of what he says and does. His wisdom, his miracles, his forgiveness. You know, we stand in a different place, a different place in the time, uh, timeline of where these Jewish leaders were in the story. Their evidence was standing right in front of them, fresh and blood. But we have to look at Jesus' stories um, through the Bible, don't we? Uh, And for me, trying to piece my faith back together again after my sudden arrival at that clifftop, I had to start with, did I trust the Bible? Was it a trustworthy account of Jesus? And I had to start digging in and looking carefully at that. And we have much more evidence to see, of course, than the leaders at this time. Because we have all the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday and the spread of that good news uh, after that too to look at. So Jesus, what Jesus did was his next witness. Like an antique vase on the Antiques Roadshow, Um, The objects are identified as real or fake by their distinguishing features, aren't they? And the similarities to other items by the same craftsman. 
What do you see when you look at Jesus? What Jesus does has God stamped all over them. But identifying the real antique requires you to have a good knowledge of the original, doesn't it? And that's where Jesus goes in his next two witnesses, the mystery and scriptures. So a mystery, first of all. At least it's a mystery to these people. Let's look at verse 37 and 38. And the Father who sent me, God his Father who sent me, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you don't have his word abiding in you, for you don't believe the one whom he has sent. It's a mystery, isn't it? Why sometimes God brings knowledge of himself to people through a supernatural uh, intervention, a voice, something internal, a feeling. And others, it comes in a different way. John, John the Baptist, had heard, had, had heard God's voice. If we flip back to John chapter 1, at the beginning when he's telling people about Jesus coming, he says, John chapter 1 verse 33 says, I myself did not know him, know Jesus, but he who sent me to baptize, God, God said to me, he who you see the Spirit descend on and remain, this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. God told John, I don't know if it was an audible voice or an inner voice, something about the way he was going to recognize Jesus. And in that event that he was describing, there was another voice. And Jesus was baptized in all the other gospel stories. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased to Jesus. Some people heard it. It's written down for us. Maybe John and Jesus heard it as they were writing. As John would then write the story. Different John, of course. But these people were not hearing a voice. But they were claiming they were hearing God. Because they were claiming they were experts in the scripture. The other way that we often hear God speaking to us. It sometimes sounds a bit like a, a circular argument that Jesus uses here. You don't know God because you don't know me, and you don't know me because you don't know God. And in our culture, where 95% of people know nothing about God, that sounds circular, doesn't it? And that's a challenge for our, our evangelism, where we start telling the story. But for these people, they were the guardians of the word, and they read it. Uh, diligently. They were the searchers. Jesus says that to them. You search the scriptures, verse 39 now, back in chapter 5. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is them that bear witness about me. Yet you, re you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Verse 42, but I know that you do not have 
the love of God within you. They're reading, they're searching, but they're not listening. You know, it's like an argument, isn't it? When two people are arguing and they're going hammer and tongs at each other, I think this, you think that all the time. Eventually someone says, you're not listening to me. It's not that they're not hearing the words, they were reading the words. But their fixed ideas of how uh, life is, the beliefs and the system and the values that they've grown up with, they're not listening to what it's actually saying. So Jesus then takes them and says, actually, it's not me who's just saying you're not listening. It's Moses, their hero. So we're on to the last witness. Moses was their hero. The human they held up with the highest authority. Verse 46 says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. but they weren't getting what Moses was saying. They were measuring Jesus against their interpretation of the laws and the stories. Um, last week, week before, Martin talked about the silly mat rule that, they broke, that the man that had been healed had, had uh, uh, picked up his mat and walked home on, the, on, a, on, a, on their holy day, which came from Moses' teaching although they'd made it as their interpretation of one of the Ten Commandments about keeping uh, the Sabbath holy. But Jesus didn't match up to their expectations, so they discounted him. We better briefly just look at what it means if you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me, because that's not immediately obvious to us uh, unless you've... uh, been uh, reading a lot of your Old Testament and spending time there. So let's quickly look at that before we think, what has this got to do with us? So looking back at Deuteronomy, um, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but 18 verse 15, um, Moses is speaking of another prophet that would come. He was looking to the future, to someone else that would come like Moses to lead and save his people. And it was from these verses that um, those Jewish leaders and the people at the time were expecting a Messiah figure to come, partly from those verses. They were expecting someone else. And then there are all the Moses and Israel uh, history stories that point to Jesus, that are mirrored in what Jesus said and did in his miracles and his teaching. We're about to get next week to the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that mirrors the story uh, of the Israelites getting manna, getting bread from heaven. The whole Passover story, as we look through God's gospel, look how many times the Passover comes up, not just in timing of stories, but in what it's about. Jesus is fulfilling what that Passover story is. Is about and the Exodus too, as someone who rescues his people out of slavery. Not slavery from the Egyptians, but slavery from the life that we're stuck in because of that serpent story that we heard for the children. 
story of the serpent being, different serpent, being lifted up on a, on a stake that people had to look at to be saved. Just as Jesus was very soon to be lifted up on a cross for us to be saved from death. The more you dig into the Old Testament stories and you look at them, the more you see how much God was preparing and telling us about what Jesus would be like. But they were looking with the wrong glasses on. So, what's all that got to do with us? What Jesus says, a special person. Can't remember my own list. The actions that Jesus was making. I'm going to look back. The mystery. The scriptures. And a special hero. What's that got to do with us as we consider what foundation we have for what we believe? So, is your faith, it's my faith, or lack of faith based on what you've been told by someone? Your family, someone you look up to, your youth leader, pastor, favorite online influencer, your PSE teacher, whatever. Some of these are good things. Remember, Jesus said it was helpful to listen to what John the Baptist was teaching. It helped people believe. But he pointed yet to a better way. And if your current opinion of Jesus is just based on what you've heard from someone else, it's time to dig some deeper foundations. Have you recently taken a long look at what Jesus said and did? Can you see God's stamp on all his actions? How he treated people, the marginalized, who he chose to be his followers? How he treated the needy, the proud? Dare we ask God to take off our society's culture glasses or our church culture glasses to see more clearly who he is, his character, what is important, and to look again at what he does as he does what he sees the Father doing. And if you have doubts, are you brave enough to take them out and have a look at them, really look at them, and lean into the questions and look into the Bible and to what Jesus was about? to find an answer, or enough of an answer, to have faith. Read the Bible for all the clues that are there. I mentioned going back to the Old Testament. Get help with that. Sometimes our um, 20th century eyes don't understand some of the links there. Something I've found really helpful in the last few years is listening to the uh, Bible Project podcast. Remember we were doing Bible Project reading plan? Same people. Look up the Bible projects and look for the podcasts. Um, Listening to some of the things in the background about the scriptures and the themes there. As I said, be careful that we don't read with our cultural glasses on. um, So that we try and fit whatever we read 
into what we already believe. Just as the Jewish leaders missed the point about the scriptures pointing to a very different Messiah from what they were growing up to expect, do we discount Jesus because they don't fit, because he doesn't fit? Or even do we fit Jesus into what we expect? If you only come to Jesus expecting uh, wise words and metaphors in his, what he's teaching, we miss the reality and the extraordinary, extraordinary ness. Oh, you know what I mean. Of the defence of the uh, describe the events that he was describing, and maybe he expects us to get involved with, in rubber hits the road stuff. And do we come with cherished cast iron um, doctrines? that we then try to shoehorn everything else into. And we don't notice we're doing it because when we make things fit to make things all add up, it makes us feel comfortable and neat and tidy and sometimes self-justified. And sometimes Jesus is messy because he gets involved in a messy world. The cross and the resurrection are central, aren't they? And they transformed and flung open the way to relationship with God. But if we just go with the Sunday school, Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven, we've missed some of the story. What are the rest of the gospel stories for? His teaching. What does it reveal of God's heart for you, for others, for creation? We need to be careful that we've not missed the point of Jesus' world upside down turning love as we try to fit everything into a little formula. And we need to be willing to ask questions. Something I'm not really spending time talking about was um, Jesus is saying, you know, who do you want to be accepted by? And for speaking to folks like me who've been around for a long time, as we meet together to discuss the word, do we sometimes accept the smiles and the nods of the others, our friends probably in the group? or in ascend as we talk, as we say the right answer to the questions that are being given? Or are we willing to say from the heart, what does this mean? What does it mean now for us? So are we willing to look and answer the question or re-answer the question, who is Jesus, and follow him? Even though that demands our everything and risks offense to our friends or our colleagues, family, or to those we seek to please. When we decide about Jesus, do we care more for our traditions or the trends of society or the safety of being accepted 
or of not offending our peer group? Do we want to go with their worldview rather than letting ourselves be challenged by what following Jesus may mean? You see, if it's true that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's showing us what the Father is like, following him will and should be revolutionary to everything else we believe and do. And finally, as we look at this, what it means. Are you willing to surrender? Because that's what faith is. Faith isn't a set of cast iron certainties where we can proudly proclaim, I have worked it out, I hold the truth. Nor is it blind faith or mere hope. I hope as Jesus has unpacked this for us, you'll see God has given us plenty witnesses, plenty evidence for our faith to stand on firm foundations. It's not just a I believe and there's nothing there to stand on. But in the end, it's letting go. It's like we said to the holiday club people, kids. The other day, we spent the whole time in holiday club um, saying we were looking for Jesus, and then we found out that Jesus was looking for us. At some point, we have to make a decision. We can stack up all the facts and the evidence, but at some point, we have to step off that cliff and let Jesus catch us in his love and find that he is trustworthy. So after a week of being at Spring Harvest, I'd sat and listened, but listened in a very different way from before. I'd reached the point where I had the beginning of a new solid foundation where I could trust the scripture enough to tell me about Jesus. It was just a start. Nothing was all back together again. And I was beginning to look at who Jesus was again and what he showed us about. My head faith was beginning slowly to be rebuilt, but my heart was raw. My ability to believe, to trust, was still raw by that all falling away. And as I sat in the last meeting, I couldn't go forward with the others that were going forward uh, to give everything to Jesus. All I could say was, God, if it's true, I will want to follow you. God, if it's true, I want to want to follow you. Jesus takes us where we're at, wherever you're at in your faith journey today. Certain and following, not sure, doubts, reevaluating, just beginning. But Jesus takes us where we're at. And he took me, and over the next um, few weeks, over the next year really, without any big experience, 
He gently rebuilt me and gave me a lasting relationship with him and a knowledge of his love. So, don't settle for second-hand faith for or against Jesus. Be honest in your search. Be honest at times to reevaluate what you believe, to check what glasses we're looking through, what things we've already decided that maybe God is putting his finger on and saying, think again, you've missed a bit here. And then step off the cliff, surrender, and say, I will follow you. And in following Jesus, we're following the one who follows the Father. I do what I see the Father do, is what Jesus said. And if we're following Jesus, that's what we have to do. We have to do, not just believe certain things, we have to do what we see the Father doing, what we see Jesus do. Amen. Let's pray together, yeah? And then we're going to sing. Actually, let's just wait for a moment. And take your own time to respond. To be real with Jesus about where you are in faith with him. Maybe you believe, but everything is dry. It's a historical set of experiences. Maybe you're coming for the first time or have doubts or whatever reasons. Take a moment to say whatever is honest to Jesus. And let him catch you. Jesus, take us as I am, as we are. We can come no other way. Take us deeper into you. Make everything else melt away. Make us like you, following the Father.